Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business. I'm your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business. All right, uh, interesting conversation going on, much of which uh, really demonstrates widespread ignorance uh, when it comes to things like the First Amendment, uh, the you know, and and the uh, idea of free speech. One of my favorite people to talk to about free speech, about media, uh, he and I come from very different ideological perspectives, but we agree vastly on the importance of uh, free speech, uh, and that's my uh, guest this segment, the one and, over, one and only David Dozer. He is an author. Uh, he's a uh, Ph.D. He is a professor emeritus at uh, – Let's see, which one? San Diego State University in Media and Journalism. Phenomenal what he does. I'd love for you to start, as always, to mentioning, by mentioning your book and how people can look at all of your uh, work over there. Well, thank you, uh, and thank you for having me on this segment, uh, Kevin. My book can be uh, obtained on Amazon, and it's an um, audio book as well as paper. Uh, and you can go to my website, which is... Uh, www.daviddozierbooks.com and my last name is spelled D-O-Z-I-E-R and uh, it'll give you some information about my fictional work as well as some academic work I've done over the years. Mm-hmm, yeah, phenomenal work at, at that. Um, talk about your book real quickly. I, I like to plug it specifically because I think it's as apropos now as it was when it came out, if not more so. I, I'm seeing rising interest in the death penalty uh, and by because more people are getting that uh, sentence uh, than I've seen in quite a while. So I think it's very timely. Well, thank you. And uh, it, the book is about the death penalty and, uh, a uh, in essence, uh, a plot uh, by the government to organize a mass execution in order to uh, perpetuate the career of a, uh, a moderate Democrat who has presidential ambitions. Um, but a bulk of the book is talking about the way media content, uh, news media content can be manipulated uh, by people who know how it works and can, in essence, uh, put forth a narrative that is divorced of facts but is uh, sufficiently compelling that a lot of people believe it. And uh, parallel to what we're talking today, of course, is that uh, there are competing narratives about uh, uh, Donald Trump's efforts to hang on to the presidency after he lost the election in 2020 and and how, how far he went and does it constitute a criminal conspiracy. Yeah. Make sure you check that out. Check out his website and his work. All right, talking of uh, Donald Trump, you know, we're hearing the First Amendment being bantered a lot, and of course most people don't understand. If you look at the First Amendment, it's what, 20 words, <laughs> 25 words? Oh, yeah, you, you know, Trump's right. He can say whatever he wants. But fortunately, uh, the courts have been more responsible in that. And I think when, uh, you know, uh, when they wrote the Constitution, and they were, they were humans, I don't, I don't think uh, it was divinely ordained like so many people like to, to believe it. But I think they thought that uh, jurists would bring some common sense to, in, you know, interpreting the First Amendment. Um, it's clear that uh, there's a, you know, like the idea of victimless crime. Uh, you know, I, I guess the crime is victimless. You're not destroying the career of someone or you're not creating an environment that uh, will lead to people getting killed or whatever or violating the law that has, a, you know, an impact on others 
yeah, maybe you can lie, <laughs> you know, we see it all the time, right? You know, uh, but uh, we see have seen plenty of cases where there have been uh, con- convictions that uh, really show the limits of the First Amendment. And what's going on with Donald Trump, if, if, if the court's reaction and the uh, legal and culture reaction uh, to Trump's behavior, uh, very close to essentially driving a coup on January 6th, um, you know, if those actions aren't within the realm of requiring check and requ- requiring limitation, then I don't know what are. Well, exactly, and it's you know it's very succinct um, that the uh, the the First Amendment protects a wide range of speech, but there are specific instances where it's not protected, and this is well established by a long string of Supreme Court decisions. And one of them is uh, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater when it's not true, because you can cause a panic and people can get killed. Uh, there are many other instances you can't disclose. Uh, uh, state secrets to a hostile foreign power. Um, and, and so the idea that the First Amendment allows you to do anything uh, is uh, simply not understanding the nuances of how the law or that amendment has been interpreted over the centuries. Uh, key to our discussion is a very simple point. Uh, freedom of speech and the First Amendment does protect your right to lie, uh, but it doesn't protect speech in the furtherance of a crime. And that's the key issue here. Is Donald Trump um, using his so-called First Amendment rights to conspire to, in essence, uh, conduct a coup d'etat and uh, uh, subvert the uh, majority of the voters and subvert the Electoral College and hang on as president of the United States? And that's the case against him. Uh, And he's having, I think, a... A difficult time trying to build a smokescreen of First Amendment rights around something that uh, is really uh, a criminal activity. Yeah, and it's interesting. The uh, you know the the I guess you would say legal critics, the analysts, uh, they're saying that this is the one indictment. I think number three, right? He's had three. He's going to get four next week. <laughs> I can't keep up with it. But but this is the indictment that. It terrifies him most. Um, this is the one that his team, he ain't, maybe not, he thinks he's uh, beyond Teflon. They used to say Reagan was Teflon. He's beyond Teflon. And, uh, you know, this is the one his legal team fears the most. And uh, it is short of treason, and, and, and because, frankly, the uh, Justice Department officials who were behind it were smart enough not to go that far, really showing restraint but having incredibly powerful details that leads to a felony that could at least lead to 20 or 30 years in prison. And I'll remind the listener, he is 76 years old. I don't think he'll last 20 or 30 years in prison. Well, I I just think that the whole thing is fascinating, this uh, parallel reality, um, which is something I talk about in my book. It's narrative is narrative, and all you have to do is get people to believe it. And it doesn't matter that it's not grounded in facts. when Donald Trump was president, he told over 30,000 uh, lies and misleading statements, and he's basically told people, he says, yeah, that's that's just part of good salesmanship. Uh, you don't have to tell the truth, and uh, uh, I think his remark to uh, Mike Pence was very revealing when Mike Pence says, I'm not going to do this, and he says, you're too honest. 
yeah. and, and that was a, a, a character defect on, on Mike Pence's part, uh, that he was too honest. Uh, yeah. And so you've got a man who uh, has this very grand notion of what he's able to do because, frankly, he's been able to do it. He's pulled it off. And uh, I always uh, think of that old uh, silent movie. There's a... Uh, a uh, 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 bad guys on the back of a flatbed and they're being chased by police or whomever. Uh, and they keep throwing junk off the back of the truck, you know, refrigerators, washing machines, whatever, uh, in order to frustrate the, the chase. And when I look at Donald Trump's behavior and the behavior of his lawyers, it's just like they're throwing junk off the back of a truck to just slow things down because that tactic has worked so well because Donald has always had more lawyers and more money uh, than the people that, you know, want to get paid for their work or uh, compensated for uh, racial discrimination or whatever other uh, wrongdoings uh, that, Tom, uh, that Donald Trump has done along the way. And uh, yeah. he's just found that I can, I can stall. Uh, I can outlast you because I got more lawyers and I got more money. Yeah, and I think he doesn't understand uh, the limits of uh, uh, pardons federal pardons. I, I, I don't think he understands those. Um, you know, he cannot pardon himself from what's happening in Georgia, which, you know, you watch that DA, and, and frankly, I wish he'd be a little more restrained. She's, she's like a future housewife of Atlanta in her rhetoric and the way she behaves. I like seeing more restraint, more deliberate action. This guy who's been handling the federal case, he's incredible. He's extremely right. strong. And uh, they should be terrified of him. But regardless, the case the, the case in uh, Atlanta is just as strong, if not stronger, than what uh, than what's going on with the feds. And I look at uh, you know that situation. He can't pardon himself if he gets elected in Georgia. He can't. That's right. And he and he's burned so many bridges with the GOP in in Georgia. He wouldn't try to help him anyway. Imagine Brian Kemp is still governor when uh, Trump ends up going to jail. He ain't going to give him any pardon. Right. It's it's fascinating the way he went after some very, very well-established conservative Southern white male Republicans as if they were, you know, um, you know, Berniacs. Uh, uh, these uh, men uh, have been very, very loyal to the Republican Party, and they make it very, very hard for people to vote in Georgia. I mean, there's there's nothing liberal about these guys, but they kind of feel that when you have an election and you lose an election, you gracefully step aside and allow for the peaceful transition of power. And they're not going to go out and dig up enough votes, you know, find enough votes for Donald Trump to uh, win the election. And uh, it's to me, that kind of tape recordings just makes it extremely extremely difficult Smoke for him that. to uh, build a case that uh, he wasn't uh, he wasn't trying to, in essence, fix the election. It is so bad that I was surprised that they haven't been using the argument that, oh, that was voice manipulation, that was AI, because it is, it is in essence, a smoking gun. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, and I think a lot of folks, um, are frustrated with how slowly the wheels of justice turn. Um, but sometimes if you want to get it right, you have to do it slow. And, uh, uh, it is unfortunate that so much of this is going to spill into the 2024 uh, presidential election campaign. And uh, 
the rhetoric around it's fascinating to me because it's sort of like, why did they wait so long to bring these charges to interfere with my campaign? Well, the other side is that you're running for president so that you can get out from under all these criminal indictments and possible convictions. Uh, and furthermore, the wheels of justice are probably best when they do turn slowly, that they get things right, that you are making consequential decisions to either imprison somebody for many, many years or take their lives or take, you know, a fortune of money in the in terms of fines. And so that needs to be done with um, a great deal of care and precision and with a lack of passion. I think that you have to be very, um, uh, very unemotional about the way the rules of law work. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. Will Hurd, the former con- congressman from Texas, uh, he's been on my show uh, in the past. Uh, I think he nailed it perfectly. And, I, and frankly, uh, you and I were saying it even before he did. I've been dying for a politician to say this. Donald Trump is really running from prison, not for president. It, it, it's very clear. Uh, he's just yeah. not into it like he used to be anymore. Uh, he's almost you know, taking a, a, a Biden bunker down in the basement approach to a certain extent. Uh, he's just not out there. He certainly doesn't look like he's having fun when he is out there. Uh, he's just trying to save his life is what he's trying to do. And it's not going very well. And in the end, you know, I, I keep wondering whether or not, uh, you know, they try to make a deal with Biden to, uh, uh, you know, prevent Trump from going to prison. That deal could come. I guess that deal could come, but it won't come until after this election. I don't think it's a good look for the United States that's already suffered from bad looks to have a president go to prison. I, I just believe neither party really wants that. Uh, but, you know, honestly, I can see long-term house arrest. I can see a decade with serious house, house arrest, you know, something like that being done. And, and of course, every state, the state and the local can do whatever they want, but I can see them even trying to cooperate. I don't know. But this guy, to me, seems like not only a politically, you know, politically dead man walking, it's just a question when everyone around him realizes it, uh, but really when it comes to freedom itself, the reasons why we live, he's a dead man walking. Well, I I think that the, that the idea of imprisoning a former president, and you know how I feel about Donald. Uh, I don't think I've ever pulled any punches on that. Uh, I do think that uh, the idea of uh, of a uh, house arrest and and something modest, not a pas- not a palace, uh, because we still have the issue of uh, the Secret Service. He still uh, is you know, required by law to have full protection as long as he's alive. And uh, that's going to be very hard to do in a federal prison, uh, you, know, you know, a lockup prison. Um, so I think there's a workaround, as we used to say in the, in the Navy and the Marine Corps, that, you know, you got the rules and then you figure out a workaround because it is an unusual set of circumstances. And uh, uh, as much as there's a visceral part of me that would like to see him, you know, working on a chain gang down in Georgia, you know, cracking rocks in the hot sun. Uh, that's visceral. That's not good for uh, me or the country. And so I think there would have to be some kind of a compromise, assuming that a Democrat gets elected president in 2024 and assuming that Trump is convicted on on federal charges. And I would hope that in Georgia and also up in New York, which is also, I understand, some t- outstanding state charges that uh, 
Um, you're absolutely right. Uh, President Trump, if he were reelected, cannot pardon himself uh, from convictions in state courts. Yeah, or local courts. He can't do anything about Manhattan. And so, and I like what you say about, the, you know, can we not be emotional? Can we be detached? Can we do this professionally? Because, frankly, he did his best fundraising after the Manhattan, uh, you know, district attorney had, had him indicted. That was such a dumb play. Rich guys in New York, should they have the right to do that? No, they should not have the right to do what he did. But they do it all the time. <laughs> you know, and so it had a political single out feel to it that only fueled uh, the woe is me that, that that's really been the center. It's amazing how much Trump has like a tough guy, yet he's, he's so sad and wimpy and victim-like in all of his rhetoric. I don't know how, I don't know how people don't see that. It's, it's, you know, but the only one who calls him out on that is Chris Christie. I mean, it's, it's right. bizarre. Yeah, well, it's that great fear of the MAGA base, and uh, you cross Trump, and you cross the base, then you're just not going to go anywhere. And so you get this, you know, this myopic sort of uh, parodying of whatever it is that Trump's saying. And unfortunately for the rest of the Republican Party, Donald Trump's saying a lot of really stupid, false things. And when you mouth those parrot those lines, um, people assume that you're also stupid and uh, you're also a liar. And I think that's that's not good for um, the GOP. And, it, you know, like I said, I'm a Bernie Democrat, but the uh, country needs a center-right party. And the Republican Party is failing in that regard because it's basically becoming a cult of personality. And I think that's um, that's a real danger. We've seen that in other countries and it doesn't end well. No, it doesn't. No, that's exactly what the GOP has become. You know, and this is a guy who worked on the Reagan campaign in 1980 saying this. I worked for a U.S. senator in the 1980s. I worked uh, for, uh, you know, some of the most uh, well-known and uh, conservative think tanks. But the GOP has been hijacked, completely hijacked. And, right. I'm a, you know, I, I, and I've never really considered myself a Republican. I'm not much of a, I'm not much of a you know, a gang member type. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like any what what what, what Groucho Marx, any any club that wanted me as a member is probably a club that uh, I shouldn't be involved in. <laughs> you, know, you know what what that kind of attitude, but uh, you know for all practical purposes, I've always been seen as a Republican in my work. You know, and, and uh, here we are now, and, and uh, I kind of disagree a little bit with one of your statements about how uh, his dangerous and continuing to be dangerous rhetoric. Uh, is, uh, you know, harmful for the GOP, I think actually it is forcing Republicans to distance themselves in a way they've never been willing to do before. Now most of them are saying, yeah, this is ridiculous. Now, are they being Christie-like or Heard-like? No. Uh, I wish they'd be more like that. Uh, but they are, uh, you know, really I, – I, that kind of rhetoric is, I hate to say it, but it's almost like an enema for the Republican Party, which is probably past due. Yeah, well, I, I, I agree. And I think that as uh, uh, additional charges come down, and I absolutely agree with you that Georgia is the, 
is the one he ought to be sweating the most, uh, and because uh, he can't do anything about that. Um, and 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 so, if there uh, uh, is a conviction, or gets close to a conviction, or if the testimony is damning, and we have access to it through either audio recordings or uh, video recordings in the courtroom in uh, uh, Fulton County, Georgia, uh, I think you're going to see. The MAGA babe starting to, you know, not disintegrate, but start to, you know, slough off some people. And as that happens, I think uh, politicians, conservative politicians in the Republican Party are going to say, wait a minute, there were some things this party stood for prior to Donald Trump. And, and we need to start articulating those things uh, in opposition to what the Democrats are doing. Um, yeah. I don't think that it has to be a you know scorched earth policy. I uh, I do give uh, Joe Biden uh, a lot of credit for trying to reach across the aisle and and try to find uh, some kind of common ground. Uh, but that's increasingly difficult when the folks uh, in the Republican Party in elected office are so scared of the uh, MAGA base that uh, uh, any kind of compromise with Democrats is seen as treason. And so yeah. you just have a real hard time, you know, real hard time uh, getting work done. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, this guy, you know, this guy, Trump is so off the wall. This is the guy that went on a war against DeSantis for being too much like Ronald Reagan. Yeah. <laughs> this guy is too Reagan-esque, he tells people. I'm like, what are you talking about? You know how many people got into politics on the GOP side because of Ronald Reagan? In some ways, he yeah. saved the GOP uh, because yeah. he'd been on life support for decades between him and Carter. By the way, Carter is a much better president than he got credit for. Uh, it's taken right. me years to realize that. Uh, he, he's got a bum rap. Uh, I love Jimmy Carter's willingness to have a blind trust for his money, which I think should be standard operating procedures for people who right. are, for most federal, uh, high-level federal offices, let alone the president, uh, you know, things like that, that to me were very high integrity, uh, yeah. you know. But, yeah. uh, but, I mean, Reagan revitalized the Republican Party. He runs against Ronald Reagan. And his MAGA crowd, who knows nothing about American political history, are all, all on board with that. I mean, it's, we live in crazy times. You and I can talk for hours. Uh, one of these days we will. Who knows? Uh, uh, one of my favorite people to talk to, David Dozer. Uh, we have uh, more fun than a radio show should be allowed to have. Uh, we don't come from different, we come from very different angles politically, but we're pretty, uh, very passionate about the First Amendment of free speech. And when I see this story that's been going on with Donald Trump making inflammatory, even violent, it's violent rhetoric should be protected, that undermines the First Amendment. It doesn't strengthen the First Amendment. And I think it's so sacred that it should be pr protected from such demagoguery, you know, really such demagoguery. Okay, final thought from you. That was my final thought. Well, and my final thought is is that the one thing that's so striking about Donald, and it's sort of tangential to what we're talking about, is how infantile he is. You listen to his rants on social media, and it's really like a four-year-old who somebody called me a bad name on the playground, and, and now I'm going to call you a, a nasty person, just a nasty person. And it just yeah. strikes me as, that's pretty childish. Uh, uh, I'm an old man, and he's older than me. Uh, he should have learned a little bit uh, more uh, uh, mature adult way of communicating your thoughts. Yeah, he's so not cultured. 
It's not even funny. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's hard to watch. I don't know how he got elected the first time. That alone made him disqualified the first time he ran, in my opinion. You have this thing, in a in, not in the Constitution, but our motto, e pluribus unum, is Latin, for among many, one. And he right. wages a war on unity. Uh, he is waging a war on uh, the idea of having consensus and being a country that works together uh, and that the enemy are over there, not over here. And that doesn't happen anymore here. So there's my other final thought. All right, David Dozer, we can go on forever. Always love talking to you. Uh, always look forward to our next visit. I am Kevin Price. This is The Price of Business.